Turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to remind everybody for next week with Easter, we are going to have our traditional make the kids charge down the hill for plastic eggs filled with sugar. So um, especially if you have uh, grandkids coming to town or family, just wanted to remind everybody of that. So it's going to be exciting. And we're going to place bets on who falls and how many times. So... John 15, if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 901. And today, as we look at this maybe familiar chapter to some of you, uh, Jesus is going to use what's around him to help people understand the truth about him. And uh, Matt, go ahead and put up the picture. Today in our text, Jesus is going to use a grapevine. It's a really good picture, I promise. So picture grapes and vines, hence grapevine. That's all right, it's not Matt's fault, it's the computer. That's okay. So think about grapevines, right? Now, I don't know about you guys, we have some here on the island, but back where I'm from is apparently wine country now. And you go back and you drive down some of these roads and you have uh, vineyards on both sides of the roads. And at certain times of the year, you could even smell the grapes from the road as you sped along. There we go. Thank you, Matt. Again, it's not Matt's fault. It's that pesky computer. Um, but, you know, sort of like around here, we have Woodenville and places like that where there's just all these vineyards. And this plant would be very familiar to the disciples of Jesus. Very common plant. And as we get into the text, I want to start our brains thinking about this object lesson of Jesus. So let's observe some things about grapevines. First of all, the structure of a grapevine. There's one main vine, one main vine attached to the roots, and off of that come these smaller branches, and it's on those smaller branches that are the grapes. Okay? Secondly, and important to our text, and maybe oversimplified for you guys, but grapevines grow grapes. There you go. I know, I'm blowing your mind this morning. You're welcome. Okay, but part of the reason you know it's a grapevine is you see the grapes. Grapes don't produce figs. Grapes don't produce pineapples. Grapes produce grapes, and that's one of the ways you know it's a grapevine. And thirdly, thinking through today, once you cut off a branch that has grapes on it, you're not going to get any more. Okay, you get that, you know, that bag at the grocery store, that bunch of grapes, it's still got part of the branch on there, you don't put it in the middle of your table, and then the next day you have a bunch more grapes. That's not how it works. And if you leave them there, 
Some of you think of, of your, your, your table right now. If you leave them there too long, they're going to rot and decompose. Okay, so again, just think of all of this stuff as we read John chapter 15 and using this metaphor, using this very familiar picture of a grapevine, <clears throat> Jesus is going to speak to his disciples about eternal truths and the truth of a promise of joy that comes through being connected to him in faith. So our big idea this morning as we look at grapevines is this. We experience lasting joy through our relationship with Jesus. Now to understand our passage, I actually want to begin at the end of our passage. So I want to start at verse 11. And this is sort of the the thesis statement, the purpose statement of what follow, what proceeds in verses 1 to 10. So let me read from chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, these things before that I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is similar to what we saw last week of Jesus talking about giving his peace, not as the world gives, but as he gives. Here we see Jesus make a promise to joy, that what he has just said and what we're going to look at this morning is how you find joy that lasts, joy that is full. So let's go back to verses 1 through 10, starting in verse 1, and see how grapes teach us about joy. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Follow along as I read. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So here we see the beginning of this extended metaphor in John 15. Jesus is the vine. And God the Father is the vine dresser, the worker who takes care of the grapevine. And by implication, if Jesus is the vine, his followers are the small little branches that come off of the main vine. This is the beginning of a theme that runs through this passage about our connection, our relationship with Jesus, our union with Christ. This is a physical picture of what Jesus said back in John 14. John 14, 20, he said, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And Paul will later pick this up in Romans chapter 6 to talk about us being united with Christ. Running throughout this metaphor is this idea of a need to be connected just as branches are connected to a vine, so too we need to be in relationship with Jesus. We'll see the repeated word abide or remain in other translations, to abide in Jesus, to be in relationship with him. And this is a very concrete word picture of that. 
We are to be in relationship with Jesus just like a branch must be connected to the vine. And so again, relating this back to verse 11, it is only through that relationship with Jesus, that connection to the vine, that we can find joy. But in addition to this basic part of the metaphor, Jesus continues to talk about another aspect that gives us joy. And we see this in the work of the Father. So in this metaphor, Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 2, it talks about what God the Father as vine dresser does. He cuts. So let's look at the ways that he cuts. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So God, like a gardener, cuts in two ways. One, he cuts to get rid and to remove. And the second is he cuts to prune. Now we know from the context and from other parts of Scripture that this idea of cutting off a branch is a metaphor for God's judgment. It's used in other places throughout your Bible. But here in this metaphor, the Father cuts off branches. Now, which branches does he cut off? He cuts off the dead branches, that verse 2, that does not bear fruit. Now, this introduces an idea that's going to continue through the text, this idea of bearing fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? Bearing fruit in this context means living a godly life in every aspect. So you think of the fruit of the Spirit, right, that Paul talks about in Galatians. That is living God's godly character. And then we can add to that the actions associated with that. So the fruit of the Spirit, for Awana kids, it's not a coconut. Okay, that's a joke for the Awana kids. Um, That's a song that Steve sung with the saying with the uh, sparkies. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are all characteristics, right? But then you can see how they are all lived out in action. So love is a characteristic we have, but it is also an action that we do out of that. Right? So bearing fruit is godly character and action in word, thought, and deed, every aspect of our life. So the one who is not a follower of Jesus, who is not living a life of faith and obedience and therefore is not bearing fruit, is cut off, faces the judgment of God. That those who reject Christ, who do not remain in the vine, face the judgment of God. And you might ask, why does that bring us joy. And here's how it brings us joy. is it, It's a reminder that God is a God of justice. That God will punish evil and will one day make all things right. That as you look out in a world full of evil and injustice in so many ways, you can have joy because God will 
judge evil. That God is a God of justice, that you can depend on his justice. But there's another source of joy related to this cutting, and that's the cutting of pruning. Look again at verse 2. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That the branches that are connected in relationship to Jesus and living out a godly life still experience cutting. And it may feel the same as God's judgment, but it is his discipline. Because there's a purpose behind it. Look at the purpose in verse 2. That it may bear more fruit. Again, John presents this as a source of our joy. That those of us who belong to Christ, who have been, in verse 3, made clean according to his word, made clean through faith and obedience, that there will be times when we, feel, when we will feel the garden shears of God. But not for our injury, but for our growth in continued godliness. Is the difference between getting stabbed when you're mugged versus being under the surgeon's scalpel. And we need this category to understand how we experience the world. That just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean everything's easy. And some of the hardship is because we live in a fallen world, but some of the hardship we experience is the pruning of God. And we need to understand that that pruning, that cutting away, is not a punishment, but is meant to bring more growth in godliness. Sometimes you will experience the pain of discipline but you need to understand that that discipline is for our good and growth and therefore can be another source of joy in our lives. Let's look at another source of joy in verses 4 to 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here we see joy in godly living. In verse 4, we have this idea of abiding, or again, other translations say remain. This idea of being in relationship and of persevering in that. Verse 4, abide in me is a call to persevere in our relationship with Jesus Christ. One commentator words it this way, that it is an expression of continuous dependence. 
Sometimes we hear that word abide and we think it just means lounging around (laughs) and existing. No, it is a relational, persevering idea. And the reason we must remain and persevere in following Jesus is, again, likened to that connection between a branch and a vine. If the branch is separated from the vine, there can be no more growth and no more fruit. Verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Again, think of that bunch of grapes on your kitchen table. No more fruit. Why? Because it's been removed from the life-giving vine. In the same way, unless you are connected in relationship with Jesus, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot live a life that is pleasing to God. Look at the emphasis there. Verse 4, Neither can you, that is, bear fruit, unless you abide in me. In verse 5, Apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus is showing us how essential to the God-pleasing, joy-filled life that being connected to Jesus is. Apart from Jesus, you cannot do what pleases God. Apart from Jesus, you cannot experience the joy that God has for you. Apart from Jesus, we can't do what is right and good. We cannot experience the joy that comes in obedience. Again, this can feel counterintuitive. That doing what is right, doing what is godly, living a godly life is actually a source of joy. Next, I want us to see in verses 6 to 7 that there is joy in answered prayer. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In verse 6, Jesus comes back to this idea of God's judgment. Again, look at verse 6. He is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There's a worthlessness there. But in contrast with that judgment, we have the promise of answered prayer in verse 7. That if you are connected to the vine of Jesus, you have the joy of being able to approach your God in prayer. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now there's a few things in verse 7 here. Number one is that it, it develops a little more concretely what it means to abide. So verse 7 
and my words abide in you. That means there's an expression of faith here that we believe the words of Jesus and what he says about himself. But then also, if his words are in us, we're going to be living out those words. So again, abiding is not just floating through life. But rather, abiding in Christ is an expression of faith and obedience in Jesus. And when we abide, when we remain in Christ, we can make prayer requests to the Father. There is a blessing of answered prayer that brings us joy. Now again, other parts of the Bible help us better understand what it means when it says, ask whatever you want. (laughs) Okay? God is not going to answer wicked prayer. But part of the answer to that is, someone who is actually remaining and abiding in Christ will ask for good things. As I get older, as I experience more of all that life has, the more I come back to the blessing and joy that is found in taking those difficulties and taking that pain to Jesus in prayer. I'm reading a book right now on the biblical idea of lament, especially as it's found in the Psalms and books like Lamentations. And this idea of God has given us a prayer as a conduit for our pain is a powerful thing. And that's just one aspect of prayer. But what Jesus is saying is that when we are in relationship with him, we are able to present our prayers to God. And this blessing of prayer is only for those united to Christ in faith. Next, I want us to see joy in obedient love in verses 8 to 10. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There are two results of our obedience to Christ, of our bearing fruit, of living a godly life. The first, in verse 8 there, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. When you live a life of faith and obedience, when you live a life of the fruit of the Spirit, of those characteristics, when you love others, not just in word, but in action, you are bringing glory and praise to God. When you live a life consistent with being connected to Jesus like a vine and branch, you are actually speaking 
about God to those around you. But secondly, again in verse 8 there, he says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This fruit-bearing life brings glory to God, but it also is evidence that you are actually who you say you are. You can say you're a follower of Jesus till you're blue in the face. But if you're not living it out, John is saying then you really don't have any proof that you are who you say you are. There's a limit to the claims we make. What Jesus says here is that the evidence that you are a follower of Jesus is that you actually live it out in your life. It's not enough to claim faith. Faith must be lived out and seen. But what does that look like? Verse 9, Jesus comes to this idea of love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The command to love Jesus is in the context of describing the love that he has for us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Here is the great love that God has for you. That he loves you with the same love that God the Father has for God the Son. This is elsewhere when 1 John talks about we love because he first loved us. And Jesus here begins with saying, you are loved by me, with the same love that the Father has for me, and therefore live out that love. How do we do that? How do we live out our love for Jesus? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying, I've left you the pattern. Everything I have done has been loving obedience to the Father. Therefore, you follow the same pattern. To show your love to me as your Savior, do what I've said. <laughs> Obey my commands. Now, it's important to understand, and I've, I've said this before, but it bears repeating, Christianity is more than just a set of rules and a rule checklist. Okay, that'd be a little easier, okay? But the way that we understand Christian obedience is this. Christian obedience is a demonstration of our love to the God who loves us. Christian obedience is not earning merit. Christian obedience is an expression of love to God. 
this is where we understand the importance of our relationship with Christ as a relationship. And this is one of the ways that we differ from other religions. That when we are called to obey is within the context of a loving relationship. It is an expression of that relationship. And this, again, using verse 11 as the lens for this passage, of when we keep the commandments of Jesus, when we love him with our actions, when we love him by serving one another, that is where we find joy. We experience joy when we obey as a demonstration of our love. A couple quick points of application as we close this morning. Number one, joy, lasting joy, is only found through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. We might say the only vine. And it is only being connected to him by grace, through faith, in a life of obedience that we can truly find joy. And you connect to that vine through repentance and faith. That's the first step. The initial step is you repent of your sins and you place your personal trust in Jesus Christ and that connects you to the life-giving vine. And then what follows is a life of faith and trust and obedience. But this passage could not be more clear that this is the only way to really live and to really find joy. And just as there is no life in that bunch of grapes on your table, there is no life and no joy apart from Jesus Christ. And secondly, I want to word this more as a question. Do you need to reevaluate how you think you find joy? And you need to reevaluate how you view experiences to see them as joy-giving. Look at the different sources of joy in this passage. God's judgment, his discipline, living a godly life, prayer. These are all sources of joy and life. And some of them cause us to reevaluate how we find joy and to reevaluate our experiences. That when we are experience, we are experiencing God's discipline to not see it as God killing our fun or holding us under his thumb, but that this is for our good and for our joy. or reevaluating the circumstances of our life. All of these sources of joy 
in one sense, it doesn't matter what's going around you. You can obey regardless of what's happening around you. You can pray regardless of what's going on around you. You can pray in the worst of times and in the best of times, and prayer is still there. Sometimes I think we make ourselves the victims of our circumstances instead of persevering in a godly life. Yes, your circumstances are hard. And there are times where you will feel the weight of your soul. But even in those times, these sources of joy are there. In the worst of times, through Christ, you can make your requests known to God. In the worst of times, you can do what is right and good. You can obey when your life's in chaos. You can pray in the darkest night of the soul. And when you do, when you persevere in that faith relationship with Jesus, in all these different ways, you will find joy, and that joy will be full. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that shows us the joy, the full joy that can be ours. God, that if there are those there who are not connected to the vine by faith and repentance, that today they would repent of their sins and place their personal trust in Christ and connect to the vine and begin to bear fruit. And God, that we would find joy not in the things that we have, not only when it feels like things are going well, but that we would find joy in obedience, that we would find joy in prayer, and that we would find joy in your discipline because it is for our good and our growth. God, that we would through connection to Jesus, through connecting to him as our vine, that we would find life and joy that can begin now and go into eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.